Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? Hi Nick, I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm going to have asparagus for dinner. Oh no, oh. <laughs> well how dare you have asparagus, my god, the dirty dirty spargel. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, that's going to come up again uh, repeatedly for the next, what is it? Are we in Spargelzeit yet? For the next two weeks, probably. Oh, God. It's my least favourite time of year. But I think everyone on the podcast knows my feeling about Spargel. We do. Um, hey, Dilly, I'm back in Germany. Yeah. How are you? Look, listen to the lovely mic quality. Can we do some ASMR? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Um, yeah, so it's very, very nice to be, to be back. Arrived back yesterday. So it's all a bit of a blur. It's quite short periods. I've been in the UK recently. So mm-hmm. it's all like snap. And then suddenly you're on a plane flying back to, uh, I was going to say the, the home country, but I guess that's kind of what it is. Um, it is, no? It's mixed feelings, no, when you leave the place? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Tell me, how was your Easter weekend? How was your holiday? It was good. I had a lot of admin to do. There was a lot of sort of catching up to do and sort of mm. trying to speak to people and see everybody. And it was a very short period of time to do it. Mm. So that was a little bit tricky. Mm. I did go out a few times. That was quite nice. The Easter weekend was good. Mm. I guess it was kind of British. It was like a mix of alcohol-driven confusion and roast beef, which Ooh. I think is pretty pretty British. Did you have Yorkshire puddings? Yeah, of course we did. Nom, nom. Nom, 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 indeed. My oldest brother is a, is a bit of a chef himself, and uh, he has some skills when it comes to cooking. So it was really, yeah, it was really nice, and had all the family around the, the dinner table. That doesn't mm. happen as much. But yeah, how about you? How was your Easter weekend? My Easter weekend coincided with my boyfriend's birthday, so I right. I was a chef myself. Okay, what did you make? I made a very spicy carrot cake. And I overheard my boyfriend telling his cousin that it was a carrot cake with spices, cinnamon and cardamom, which were pretty much the only spices he knew of the eight or so that went in. What so- were the eight spices? <laughs> the eight magic spices? Chili. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing hurts, Nick. People have feelings. <laughs> So chili wasn't one of them. Chili was not one of them. So I had, like, do you know allspice? Where did you get, oh my God, right, sorry, stop the presses, stop everything. Where did you get allspice from? Everywhere. You can Where buy allspice. are you getting allspice? There is no allspice in Germany, in, in Bavaria, sorry. There's none. No. I've been to so many shops that can't find it anywhere. What have you been, is it for jerk chicken? Why do you need it? Ah, uh, just it's one of those utility spices, isn't it? You put it, you can put it in a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. But um, for Easter, I was looking for it for the hot cross buns that I made. Oh, nice. I'm a good baker, so I didn't really need it, but it would have been nice to have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god doesn't your hand ever ache from patting yourself on the back so much hey look no one else is bloody gonna do it i might as well you <laughs> you and producer simon certainly aren't gonna do it oh so. nick and as the youngest as the youngest of four none of my family are gonna do it and uh, my wife's german and she definitely isn't gonna do it so hey this is my opportunity man okay that was not a sob story that was hey look <laughs> someone feel sorry for me please <laughs> my life is hard we feel sorry um, for you nick 
speaking of sort of feeling sorry for myself, um, mm. I, I came up upon this rather confusing situation and I wondered what your perspective would be on it, Dilly. So when mm -hmm. I was a kid, Easter, as I'm sure I've mentioned a few times, wasn't a massive thing in mm. my family or really anyone's family. And what you could expect was a couple of days off, school holidays, chocolate mm. eggs, that's it. But somehow along the way between 1983 and uh, 2023, hmm. something has changed, which means that like kids get toys for Easter, mm -hmm. and it makes me it makes me very unhappy. Like not for religious reasons, but yeah. like I need some perspective here. Yeah, because my daughter and all of her cousins got gifts for Easter, and I just thought that was like ridiculous. Mm. Bearing in mind that my daughter's birthday was only two weeks or three weeks ago, right? Where she got oh. lots of stuff, right? One of the things I was speaking to someone about last week was how children don't have a lot of resilience. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by resilience is like dealing with adversity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, isn't this a great opportunity to teach adversity? Because the reasoning for my daughter getting a gift was everyone else is getting one. And I was like, well, isn't that a great chance to like explain kind of a really basic tenet of humanity that, what is it the Rolling Stones said? You can't always get what you want. <laughs> Now, please, Dilly, tell me if I'm being a proper bastard. If you're quoting the Rolling Stones to a three-year-old... Uh... Well, I wouldn't. I would have broken it down in a more three-year-old um, sort of focused way. Okay. But... Okay. The thing is, Nick, I've been looking into parenting and um, it's bad enough as it is and hard. And I, I don't want someone to find a new way of taking my money every 10 years so one aspect of this is now you have to you probably had to buy your nephews and nieces Easter gifts. Well that could be like potentially what happens, right? All it takes is for someone to buy my daughter a gift mm. and then we're locked in for life to a gift giving process over. It's an obligation. Yes. That's what it feels like, right? The list gets longer. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. That's capitalism for you. <laughs> Oh, righteous. So you agree then? Do you think it's a bit overblown? You think it's a bit ridiculous? It is. What was wrong with the chocolates? I mean, you know, we have the whole story around it. I mean, there's the bunny. Don't get me started on the fucking Easter bunny. Like, honestly. <laughs> there's a bunny. There are the wooden eggs, the plastic eggs, the chocolate eggs. Mm -hmm. And there's the bunny laying the eggs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, we went with that. And now they're shoving down our throats Easter toys. What are mm -hmm. Easter toys? How do they differ from Christmas gifts? Absolutely nothing at all. It just felt like our, we're going to buy our children loads of toys. And I was just like, you know, how does that not produce kind of entitled children? That's my thought. Like You keep doing that. There's like an entitlement. What I'm essentially really scared about is that mm. I'm going to raise a really entitled posh kid, essentially. And I think it's my hang-up rather than my daughter's hang-up. Now, that's my concern, actually, is that it's all me and nothing to do with what's actually happening. Mm. But I keep seeing little things where she gets a lot of toys, a mm. lot of gifts. I didn't bring her anything back from Britain mm. because she was already getting loads of stuff. Mm. And I was like, I kind of thought, like, oh, Germany's quite, like, austere. It's Bavaria, mm. you know, quite religious. But now that doesn't seem to have really had an impact. That's interesting. Because in Germany, the children's culture that I've been exposed to is one where 
the parents occasionally go through all the clothes and sort them out. Oh, you know, they have a new kid in this family. Uh, she can use some of these clothes and you pass on the socks and the mittens and everything. And um, that same happens with books and toys. And, I, and I've always liked that. It's strange that we suddenly have these, you know, we get these new ideas and we just keep buying more stuff. Whereas a lot of stuff does get handed down and from person to person. Mm. I've also met like older kids who get chocolate and money. Money mm. I can wrap my head around. Money I can't even wrap my head around. I wouldn't mind being on the receiving end of that. Like Jesus is risen. Here is uh, an action set, Marvel action set. And uh, here is uh, 50 quid. This is like, oh yeah, praise the Lord. But like, you just said it's not a religious thing with you. I know, but like, it's kind of like, what is the point of it? You know, like, I don't know if it, these events should be just purely driven by more consumption. And it's like, can't we just like not? Can't we just like back the fuck up a little bit and mm. and just have like a family period where we're not just throwing stuff at children? Yeah, that's true. It does feel like I'm in the minority. Yeah. Not in this conversation, thankfully, but in general. No, no, I, I've been there. I've had nieces and nephews. And I mean, when they hear that I'm coming to Sri Lanka, they mm. find me and they ask for things. Dileni mm. Punchi, uh, look at my collection of uh, Mickey Mouse and mm -hmm. the many mini mini mouse i mm -hmm. don't even know the plural of mini mouse is it mini mice mm. mini mices <laughs> it's mini mouses i mean these are concepts for which we don't even have words yeah i mean that speaks to the danger of it nick like living in bavaria is such a and again i think you probably have a different slant on this but living in bavaria is like unreal it's an unreal place in the sense that employment is really high crime is really low mm. the wealth is quite obvious essentially wankers will say to us oh like this is the ghetto when we go to certain parts of augsburg and i'm like if this is the fucking ghetto i bet they'd fucking love to live here if you were like in compton you know mm. like it's not the fucking mm. ghetto it's just got a bit more spray paint on the walls you know like there's a lot of comfortable people and then I went to Newcastle and I'm walking around some of the most deprived areas of the city and it's so disheartening. And it's mm. that's the bit that sort of, the sort of my drive really is, why do I have to just constantly be sort of, here's a toy, here's another thing, here's yeah. a, more consumption. More yeah. con it's already like the market sort of driven towards parents consuming as much as humanly possible to give to their kids. Mm. I, just, I just, I don't know, it just feels like the fairness is really was really stark over the last few days. Mm. I remember my parents driving us through the Meadowell estate after the riots that had mm. there in the early 90s. And it was a really important moment, I think, the realisation that even though we, had not, we didn't have a lot, we had far more than these people. And I think that's actually a lesson that I remember a lot and, and it's a very formative experience. Mm. And it's something that I think my daughter has the advantage of seeing these two worlds that exist. Mm. and i don't want her to get to a point where she's become full-on upper middle class bavarian before she has a chance to see with the reality of the world because mm -hmm. i think i think newcastle's the real world and i think bavaria's not and that's the thing that i constantly mm. keep thinking about i think i understand where you're coming from i mean i've spent like time with kids and my friends for instance and um like one friend has a couple of kids who don't get to use mobile phones and uh, they have to play outside sometimes. They have to read a lot. And these kids like it. They have Lego, but they also like, you know, 
uh, hey, Dilly, look at what we have. We, we made a special oil. And so mm. like they stuff like herbs from the balcony into like mm. little bottles. And I, my brother and I used to do that. We had like big boxes and we pretended they were ships. And we used to drag each other around the house. And we didn't just have like very specific toys. Like it wasn't just, oh, okay, let's play with the kitchen little pots and pans and the gardening tools. We we improvised. We We made food out of old coconut scrapes and um, scraped coconut and sand mm. and uh, there is there was a lot of creativity and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, looking for alternatives and we 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 played with fire <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe we don't do that uh, yeah. <laughs> I, want, I mean I'd, I'd keep a really good look out over my kids when they're in the garden knowing what I got up to but like you know we we try to make magic portions and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's a very huge creative element that I think children miss when they have the car and the ship I don't know you you need to like explore a little bit like creativity comes from adversity and it doesn't have to be a lot of adversity for you to, to get creative like making things out of cardboard boxes and stuff like that I think it's that not you can even play adversity, and, is it? It's it's well. I guess it's like just that's what I term it, but maybe it's not adversity. Mm. Looking at something and seeing it, like seeing all the potential in it, I think exactly. that's a huge life lesson there. Speaking of things, I mean, this is obviously a debate that's going on within my family. It's slightly different from the debate that's going on with you and your uh, your partner, though, right? You've been having a, an Easter discussion, uh-huh. unlike my question around toys at Easter. You've been. Uh, yeah, locked in some kind of battle of wills with your boyfriend over food sitting out on the counter. Oh, um, Jesus Christ. I think as you tweeted about this the other day, and I thought it was really funny, and apparently your boyfriend and you cannot agree about leaving food out. You're on the side of the not leaving food out, and, and he's on the side of leaving food out. Is that right? Yes. So the thing is, I am not a fan of leaving food overnight on the counter, I like to pack things away. I either put them in the freezer or the fridge. And my boyfriend is like, yeah, we can. I mean, you know, we are going to reheat it tomorrow. What's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. And that just scares me. What kind of food are we talking about? You know, the pasta, rice, um, things with cream, things without cream, things with coconut milk, things without coconut milk. They all get left on the counter because he thinks, you know, "Ah, know, putting it away is just too much Mm. Too many things to wash up. And the thing is, to a certain extent, I can see where he might be coming from. I have a massive fridge that I bought during a very traumatic period in my life in Germany. When I used to live in a WG with other flatmates, there was fungus growing in the communal fridge, which one does not really want to see. So I, you know, I... um very magnanimously bought myself a very big fridge, which I still have. And my boyfriend has a very small one. So he has to be very careful about what he chooses to put in his fridge. And another thing is, my boyfriend has a grand total of three glass containers that he bought at Ikea (laughs) while rolling his eyes because I made him do it. That's the only way you purchase things at Ikea is by just... (laughs) Holding your nose and rolling your eyes and complaining about it. I have like 20, 20 Pyrex dishes and that's a very conservative guess. Yeah. Um, with with lids. You're not reacting as impressed as you should be, Nick. Oh, you know, like we've got a we've got a cupboard full of bloody 
Tupperware. Honestly, I feel like Germans are addicted to Tupperware. So I don't know. I feel like we just got lots of lids for Tupperware we don't have anymore and it just accumulates. So the topic of Tupperware mm-hmm. touches a nerve, I think, more than anything else. Maybe, maybe Simon might like to know that I love Sistema things. Does he... Does it pull at your heartstrings, Simon? Yay! Why is this that a New yes. Zealand brand or something? Yes, that's from New Zealand. And it's a really good brand of things. And they treat their employees very well. Uh, my cousin worked in one so, factory. So let me, let me sort of recap the argument essentially mm. is that no matter what the food is, what it contains, your, yeah. your boyfriend's sort of solution to having a small fridge is to leave stuff out. And yeah. your solution is to put everything in the fridge. And the freezer. He right. has a freezer where you you can put half a fish and some ice cream. And that's his freezer. This also touches on German fridges and like rented accommodation are the most pathetic things that I've ever come across. They're always tiny and they're always shit. Like they're always like designed for like no one to use. They're like um, they're about as useful as a mini fridge, you know, that yeah. awful things we have one upstairs in our kitchen and i can't actually work out who it was designed for because it doesn't really mm. fit anything and it's just awful right so we have a big mm. fridge freezer downstairs mm. the question i would have is do you store things outside is that a concept that you've heard of or done before no never i don't store anything outside so you've never like stored like in the cold winter months stored stuff on the windowsill to keep it cold i've seen it done in other houses uh-huh. i've observed this like you boil potato and you leave it out on the balcony and you use it two days later exactly i can get behind that but i'd still be i mean what if the pigeons get to it well it's got a lid unless the pigeons have got like uh, opposable thumbs now then i think we'll be okay <laughs> if you see a pigeon with an opposable thumb do something about it like you get worried right but up until that point i think you'll be all right you made producer Simon laugh. Good on you. And that's that is all I ever wish to do in life is make producer Simon laugh. I know it's you didn't <laughs> laugh. You looked at me sternly as if I'd I'd really taken the jam out of your donut. We store stuff in the base <laughs> soup. We store soup in the basement. We've cooked the sort of contents of a lasagna and put it outside to cool. I've done that before. I've done certain things that I've left outside in order to cool, but rarely do we do it overnight. I like Pfefferbeiser, so that always stays outside. Um, I would never put that in the fridge because that's just a waste of good Pfefferbeiser. If it's got cream in it, then maybe. But I often frequently forget to put stuff in the fridge and my wife loses her mind over it. And I don't really know what the problem is because it's probably going to be all right, isn't it? I don't feel like it's going to kill anybody if it's just one night. What are you, like my boyfriend's lawyer or something? I just, I feel like he needs a bit of representation and I'm on hand to help him out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm expensive, mind, so like just remind him that he owes us us a uh, a retainer fee. Um, (laughs) I I mean, my mother would never think of doing that. I mean, unless it's something that you cook on, like, you know, on fire, Mm -hmm. firewood. Mm-hmm. like pork cooked with lots of chili over a fire that you can leave outside for a day anything's gonna dry out or anything that's gonna go off because of the heat or something like i wouldn't leave mm-hmm. stuff out in summer but like in winter mm. especially like our kitchen's at the front of the house so it gets quite cool in the evenings and so fine semi-refrigerated semi-refrigerator okay but the nice thing was that without any prompting from me 
he told me that he read uh, a news article about a student in Belgium dying because he ate pasta that he left on the counter over five days. The boy had just reheated everything. Oh, yeah, I think that's a very terrible idea. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But yeah. I do think that one night can't hurt, really. That's true. I mean, that it had been like pasta and tomato sauce. And then my boyfriend said, well, I saw that, so I read this on the news. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he put all of his birthday food in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so he's learned his lesson then. He has. Yeah. I'm just sad that he didn't believe me when I said it and that it had to come from a news article that was like a decade old. But you know, whatever helps. I don't know. It's probably because you're knocking him. <laughs> Oh, you did not. We don't say that word in our house, Nick. We don't say the word nag. It's, it's the right, word that people... It's the right daily asset in my house. <laughs> no. How do you survive? I mean, how are you not chased around? I, I am frequently. You just don't see the bruises. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of food. Speaking of food. No, speaking of nagging. Yeah, no. You don't get to change a bloody speaking subject. Speaking of food and you nagging, up, let's you talk. finish it. <laughs> let's change the topic before you beat me no, up. No, we will not change the bloody topic. <laughs> Are we stuck nagging. here? Are we stuck? Hey, come on. Like, I've been in Britain for the last week. We communicate <laughs> exclusively by being sarcastic pricks, all right? Just, just let me acclimatize. Eventually, I'll be back to normal, I promise. Speaking of which, uh, food-related content... I went to an Aldi at the weekend to do some shopping in Britain. I'll be desperate to get to an Aldi or Lidl or Aldi mm -hmm. and Lidl to just check it out and see what the differences are. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd been to a Tesco's the day before. This is the largest, one of the largest sort of supermarket chains in Britain. And it was like going into a hangar that had like been sort of um, ransacked. Mm -hmm. Really big space, this Tesco's, and it had very little in it. There's a lot of gaps on the shelves. And mm. uh, I went to the Aldi, everything was fine, everything worked. And my God, like they had just just all the best stuff. They also mm. had an Aldi beer that there was being brewed. There's a company called Brew Dog. I think they, uh, they mm -hmm. do various different beers, but it was an Aldi specific beer and it was Aldi mm -hmm. branding. And it was like one of the best beers I've ever had. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe I can't believe it. You know, I had the nagging feeling that you were going to try beer also during your Easter holiday. Uh, geez, Adelia, uh -huh. you, you're not going to get over this, are you? It's just going to be this all the way through. I tell you, I try and change the subject and talk about a nice experience I had with beer. And all you can do is just living in the past. Granted, the past was about two or three minutes ago. But either way, living in the past. <laughs> Pop quiz, Dilly. What are your top three holiday destinations? I just finished watching the third season of uh, Derry Girls. Beautifully done. I want to visit Ireland. Okay. Scotland. Okay. Can I say Sri Lanka because that's where my parents are? You can say any country you want. I was curious to know if you would actually choose Britain at any point. You chose Scotland, so that's good. That's mm -hmm. in your top three. And this means that you are one of the minority of Germans, Dilly, that still mm -hmm. finds Britain an attractive option when it comes to holiday destinations. Okay. Because Britain is no longer in the top 10 destinations for German tourists. Uh, mm. News last week came out that said that Britain was pre-pandemic sitting around about number seven of the destinations Germans mm. would prefer. Uh, and now 
It's 14th. And the question I sort of am pondering a lot is, why don't German tourists want to come to the UK on holiday? What is it about the UK? What possibly could have happened in the last, I don't know, let's say sort of seven or eight years that might make Germans feel incredibly unwelcome in Britain? (laughs) I can't possibly think. Can you think of what it might be, Dilly? I don't know, Nick. I mean, like, I have a nagging feeling that it could be, I don't know, the price of tea? Well, no, it's not the price of tea. And nor is it the weather, which would be an obvious choice too. It's actually down to one of uh, Germany's favourite pastimes, paperwork. Because since October 2021, all Uh EU citizens uh, require a passport rather than their ID card which is often used to travel within the EU. And as a German citizen like myself, you have your uh, Deutsche Pass uh, Mm -hmm. that you carry around. And that allows us to travel effectively around the EU without ever having Mm. to show anyone a passport. Mm. And uh, in fact, I was told off by the security people at Schiphol Airport when I Mm. flew out of Germany because they were very upset that I wasn't traveling on a German passport to leave Germany. Which I don't understand why they thought that was a problem. I did point out to them that KLM won't let me travel out on one passport and in on another. Mm. So they didn't seem to like that piece of information either. This Deutsche Pass, or the sort of EU citizenship, allows you to travel around. And since uh, October of 2021, that's no longer been allowed as an access document to Britain. So that's one of the mm. big issues, is, uh, is paperwork. Um, and this essentially means that uh, people are choosing not to travel to Britain. Do you know how many Germans actually have passports? I'm going to say it's a minority. Is Am I right? So if Germany's population is around about 85 million, 29 million mm. Germans have actual passports, which is roughly 34%. And I thought this was quite interesting because Germans often will harp on about the lack of Americans with passports. Do you know how mm. many Americans out of the 350 million Americans have passports? Mm, 250 million? Well, it's roughly about 43%. So just under half that number. Just under half. Yeah. Okay. Which means that there's a higher percentage of Americans than Germans have actual passports. So um, I thought that was quite funny. The It's interesting. It's not much paperwork applying for the passport, right? I think it costs a bit of money. And yeah, true. unlike in the, I mean, the, the, the Americans like often like to holiday in America mm. and Germans often like to holiday in EU countries. So mm. there is a reason why Americans might not have a passport or Germans might not have an actual sort of passport because uh, mm. they can just travel in a car or, or sort of get on a flight and, and not have to worry about showing anyone uh, an, an official document um, mm. like a passport. They can just use their ID cards. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was kind of funny that the like global Britain, as it's been branded, is looking incredibly unglobal in this context, since uh, so so many people are, are choosing, not just the Germans, the French as well, are choosing not to travel to the UK. You said you wanted to go to Scotland, mm. so that means the UK is still an attractive option for you. It is, but then again, I also have my passport. But don't you think it's a bit not international if you think what i need a passport to go somewhere outside the country then i won't get a passport it's a bit much don't you think i mean if you don't need it i mean you can choose 27 different countries you can travel to in the eu that you don't need a passport i mean you can see most a, a large portion of 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 europe with that that makes sense 
And if you've got a large family, costs a lot of money to get passports for the kids, passports for, for the parents, I can understand that too. And I guess Britain isn't exactly projecting openness and friendship to the rest of the EU. Mm-mm. I've yet to see a, a very positive article on Britain uh, since Brexit, really. It just seems to be chaos. No, no, it's not really endearing itself to the German audience, at least. Those of you who aren't paying attention to Britain, those of you who don't have an eye on Britain particularly, might not know how how chaos-driven Britain currently is. And it's just bouncing. Mm. It's basically bouncing from disaster to disaster until there's an election next year. And we've got this zombie government just coming up with absolutely insane headline-grabbing policies that will never function and it will never work but mm. it's it's also what's come before and it's the perfect example of how much of a fucking shambles brexit was as a concept in that it basically meant for years and years up until about 2020 from 2016 to 2020 britain and its government in the in the tory party just decided right well the eu's the enemy so we're just going to say horrible shit about the eu you might have forgotten mm. the period where our shortest term prime minister Liz Truss said in a debate last summer, um, Mm. oh no, wait, she refrained from saying whether France and Emmanuel Macron were friend or foe. That was the Mm. real low point. Mm. And that's sort of being repaired now by Rishi Sunak. There's a deal been done with France regarding certain aspects of refugees and and migrants. And there's Mm. been a little bit of movement on the Northern Ireland Protocol. But like all of these things combined together have created this kind of image of an unwelcoming place to to travel to and it's actually a massive disaster for as i think we've talked about for school kids who want to go to britain to learn english for the simple Mm. reason that most schools will simply if one pupil doesn't have a passport will just not go to the uk instead they'll go to ireland or malta Mm -hmm. and in fact there was research by the the tourism alliance in the UK last year that found that there'd been an 83% drop in school children and students visiting the UK, which had led to a loss of £875 million and 14,500 jobs. So it's a big shock to the system, right? It is, yeah. So we we sort of lost this kind of position as a a place that people can go to for for English teaching. And uh, yeah, I I thought it was a bit of a disaster because Britain's like, it's a really good place to go on holiday. The, one of the things I will all say about British people, the majority of British people are actually quite nice and quite welcoming, especially mm. in Scotland. I think there are areas where things get tricky, but a lot of people just tend to go to London and it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, you've not really gone to Britain. You've gone to the Disneyland version of, of Britain, which is London. Mm. But the, the rest of the country is really actually quite a nice place, quite a welcoming place. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, yeah everybody sort of loses out in this in this scenario i mean there's a german fascination of britain that i've always noticed in i mean living here in germany people speak very fondly of britain they like british english they they you know they like the tea and they yeah. have their little british yeah. shops and we also had quite a few exchanges like student exchanges between schools and between universities erasmus and when one generation of kids and students lose out on this, they also turn into adults who don't have a connection uh, with the neighbor. It's kind of it's kind of sad. I mean, it's only going to get worse. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to get worse because of the, the situation with the electronic travel authorization. Anyone who's been to the US will have some experience of this where you have to fill in this kind of visa form and then also pay a fee to get into mm. the US from October. Britain's going to have a similar thing where in order to go to Britain, you've got to like get a visa mm. and have to or have to pay for a digital permit if you're an EU citizen. Like America is so attractive because it's so big, it's so dominant in in the mm. culture. Has Britain got that level of attractiveness where people can go, oh, you know, it's going to cost this much for the flights, this much for the hotel. Oh, and we've got to pay like 95 quid for a, a visa. And the people are going to be like, well, I don't really want to go now. Like, why would you, you know? I don't think Britain's got that much of a draw that people are going to be willing to shell out even more money. It just seems like a wacky idea. And it seems to be like the Erasmus thing is just infuriating because Brexit has no benefits and everyone fucking knows it. They had to find benefits from somewhere. And apparently one of the benefits was, we don't need Erasmus. We'll come up with our own scheme that's better and has cigars. I don't know what it was like. <laughs> it was ridiculous, right? Yeah. And they create this new scheme. It's a fucking failure and it costs yeah. loads of money. And it's like, oh, do, the, already the Labour Party, who uh, will be contesting the next election, uh, most likely coming out victorious, uh, have already said they're going to put Erasmus back. In, uh, really? Yeah, nice. they've already said they want to. And it's the most sensible, obvious thing to do. It is. I mean, they really changed the winning team, no? Yeah. Yeah. Britain's real um, advantage is its culture, right? Because it's not an industrial powerhouse. It's not a financial powerhouse in the way it was, certainly not after Brexit. And it still has a lot of things to offer. But it just means that what you have to concede is that not everything needs to be British, which is generally difficult for British people at the moment to, see, or at least British politicians seemingly to deal with, is this thing's European. It must be bad. This British mm -hmm. thing, it must be better. That's killed the kind of really good position Britain was in. So Nick, you are going to have another baby with your wife in May. Yeah. You have a wonderful child. Yes, we already. do. We do. So when I say cycle apps, you're familiar with it, right? Um, I mean, cycle apps is in like cycling or or what? That's the Nick I know. <laughs> I'm taking that as an is is not the right answer. So what what um, what's a cycle app? So the cycle app is an app where you enter all things menstruation. Right. And it kind of like tracks your period, gives you dates, uh, says when a person is most likely to conceive and not, etc. Right. Okay. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we used an app. I think we were quite old school about it. You know, I think we did a lot of um, pen and papers and calendars really, but uh, makes sense. Uh -huh. Simon hasn't blinked in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about Simon. Don't look at Simon. Don't worry about Simon. Right. <laughs> well, the reason I say this, I bring it up, is because cycle apps have been taking the blame for the number of abortions increasing in Germany. What? In 2022. Really? So, what, they're giving out the wrong data or...? According to an article in Stern, mm -hmm. uh, published on the 1st of April, abortions in Germany in 2022 were at a 10-year high at uh, 104,000. Wow. 
And that is 10% more than numbers recorded in 2021. Oh, wow. Okay, mm-hmm. that, that, that seems like there might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, I've been wondering. So people then rely on apps to say when they are most fertile and not to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> you almost approach that as badly as I would. You're almost as prudish as I am. You're like, eh, uh, sex, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to say in public here and not. So that's why. I mean, that seems like really leaving it to fate. That kind of thing would scare me, though. I think the issue with these apps, then, is that mm. you're kind of outsourcing the kind of pen and paper approach my wife and I took to tracking these sort of cycles. Mm. But there is the assumption that it would be more precise because it's a, an app, right? Yeah. So it does feel like a, a real a real issue if mm. these kind of apps are to blame. Is that what the data is saying? Is that what experts are saying? Or is that just like a theory that someone has? I think it's a theory that someone has. So the Stern article is based on an interview with someone from Pro Familia. Right. That is what the person says. Although it's not, in, I'm not entirely sure how they arrived at this particular reason. Yeah, I'd read a few articles on that particular topic too, and it wasn't exactly clear what the suspicion was. I'm assuming if it's coming from pro-familia, that there is some semblance of scientific study involved because they're the... uh, they sort of offer advice to people about kind of lots of different things, but often to do with planned parenthood, essentially. Mm. They have some expertise in this area, right? I guess. I can also see why apps are popular because um, contraception, it can cost money. It changes Mm. to mood. It takes energy to think about it Mm. and source it. Mm -hmm. I'm just assuming. Do you happen to use one of these apps? Not particularly, I but I have like a couple of friends who do and they are actively like trying for babies right now. And I, I thought like these apps have, that is the purpose. But I think it's very like leaving it up to the gods kind of thing. If you think that that also works as contraception, that's a bit tricky. I can only speak from experience in that like it can be really arduous and ultimately we ended up doing IVF mm. because it was so like it was it just wasn't working you know for various Mm. reasons and that was a an experience and a half as well because then you're Mm. dealing with insurance companies and you're dealing with Mm. like because there wasn't a diagnosis Mm. and we couldn't get a diagnosis from anyone Mm. the insurance companies were very reticent to uh, help with Mm. sort of IVF like that the the actual like process of going through IVF was was fine and the doctors were great and it was actually Mm. like a really uh, we had a really good dynamic with our doctor and mm. uh, we still send him a Christmas card and all that sort of jazz, right? And obviously the results speak for mm. themselves. But I think that the decision to have kids and then the kind of process mm. of trying to have kids, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I think my image of what was going to happen was much more fantasy than it was reality. And I think anyone who's who's had kids or tried to have kids would be fully understand that that issue. Again, yeah. for mine and my wife's modesty, I'm not going into any more detail. But like, it's galling, really is. It can be galling having to go through all this effort and all this kind of 
concentration of focus and it to mm-hmm. fail multiple times and it's ours is an experience a lot of a lot of people have had a lot of friends have had but mm. even if you look at the demographics for germany it's a problem a mm. lot of people have is, is trying to conceive and my thought is with these apps there's also maybe maybe there's an element of the the pandemic in there you know everyone's locked up mm. um i kind of thought at the start of the pandemic that this is probably has a lot of potential for for like a baby boom because you're just locking people in with very little to do and mm. uh couples and, and partners and whatever will find ways of entertaining themselves <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah. yeah i thought maybe it wasn't just maybe the app it could also have this element of people being locked in their houses for two years but the whole topic of conception is, is a tricky one in Germany because of the insurances. But on the flip mm. side of that, I mean, the topic of abortions is, is obviously, it's a big thing in the US. And you hear a lot of German kind of tutting. Yeah. And I've had a lot of students doing essays and writing stuff on the topic of the battles for abortion rights in the US. Mm. But not a lot of people want to talk about the issues regarding abortion within Germany. It feels like one of those topics that people like, tend to stick their fingers in their ears and go la 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 and don't really want to pay attention to because it's actually quite it's quite shocking (laughs) when you think about germany and you think about the sort of perspective of germany as a modern country right yeah and you think that i mean i always thought okay so we probably have a very progressive approach to it Mm. and until i really got my facts down you read things here and there and you kind of learn that Technically, abortion is illegal in Germany. Yeah, effectively. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one, right? There was a situation recently, very recently, in fact, it was only last year, the repeal of what's called uh, paragraph 219A in mm. English, but mm. would probably be more applicable for like, um, I think it's uh, what they say is um, it's the Verbung für den Abbruch der Schwangerschaft. Mm-hmm. So the ability for places that offer abortions Mm -hmm. to women their inability before july 18th 2022 to actually advertise their services to people Mm -hmm. that was banned and the traffic light coalition the ample coalition have have repealed that law yet there is still an issue and that's the thing that's quite surprising in the uh, frankfurter allgemeine zeitung they had outlined recently things that make abortion harder in Germany. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, in Passau, there was only one doctor willing to do abortions. And when they retired, there was no one willing to perform them. So, currently, there is only one doctor willing to see women or people who want an abortion. And they only take appointments on one day every two weeks. Bavaria has a real bad mm. sort of track record when it comes to, well, women's health, mm. ultimately. I mean, nationally, the issue currently is what they call paragraph 218, which mm. is like, they've essentially said that that it's really hard, it's fucking German law again, and, and it's very hard to sort of navigate. But essentially what mm. this paragraph says is it's still illegal to have an abortion. Like there's, there's a penalty for having a woman having an abortion is essentially mm. what it says. And that has now become this focus of mm. like government. But actually what you've pointed out is the larger issue, which is... You can repeal all the laws you want, but mm. if you don't actually have people willing to provide the service, then... Yeah, the healthcare... Exactly. 
I think there were also like some other uh, like other mm-hmm. aspects of it. So uh, to have an abortion in Germany, the legal limit is tw- um, is at twelve weeks. Yeah. So essentially three months, I guess. Yeah. But even then, you have to have had a counseling session with your doctor at least uh, three days before mm-hmm. the uh, appointment for the abortion. Mm-hmm. That's a bit like vilifying people, mm-hmm. like having to talk about it with the doctor and making mm-hmm. this mandatory. It's infantilizing people as well, right? My perspective on it is as liberal as they come, you know. I think it should be mm. freely available. I mm-hmm. think you should have as minimum a minimum amount of hurdles. And mm. I think as a as a health issue and mm. as a, specifically a women's health issue, mm. it is a priority and, and, and it's this idea it's that shitty right-wing kind of perspective mm. partially kind of nuanced with a bit of like religious fervor mm. like people who use abortions as a form of contraception mm. and i'm like when people say that have you any idea the fucking pain and of that process that whole process yeah. is is not a process anyone would put themselves through willy-nilly it's not mm-hmm. the same as like taking the pill or something, which in itself yeah. has ramifications. Um, yeah. Again, I know I'm a man speaking about women's health, so I am not, you are clearly the person to speak about this more than I, but I do know these things very yeah. clearly. As one should know, yeah. But I'm not fucking blinded by the idea that people are like skipping to clinics to fucking get an abortion. It just seems fucking not totally wacky that people would even think that was worth arguing. But then... This thing that you've pointed out is there's there's the structural legal issues mm. that haven't been cleared and still need to be cleared. Yeah. But then you've mentioned the fact that there's like this 12 weeks legal limit mm. for abortions in Germany. But there's places in fucking Bavaria that are like, nah, we only do 10 weeks. 10 weeks is our limit. Do they say why? No. Because they fucking can. Because they can. And because there's no clarity and because fuck what anyone else thinks you know we're Bavaria we'll do what we want and it feels very much that this is what it is it's partially a structural issue within the government mm. of Bavaria within mm. the municipalities of Bavaria because there's some cities in Bavaria that actually are really hard on abortions and make it really difficult there's the mm. religious fucking angle of, of absolute fucking cretins standing outside abortion clinics mm. or the, the houses of doctors who offer abortions mm. to basically scare them into doing what they want which I like personally, like I mm. think demos are important, but I think that kind of fucking demo should just be fucking obliterated. It should you shouldn't be allowed to do it. You shouldn't be allowed to do it. Same way as you shouldn't be allowed to protest someone's fucking funeral. I think Yes, that's like, very I think, true. I think there's just some levels of decency where I don't think I can really I can't really control my anger in those moments because it mm. is just it's just the worst elements of fucking christianity and i'm like do you think fucking jesus would do this you fucking assholes anyway sorry mm. i'm just get very angry about it but um <laughs> and i get very angry because it's my fucking state that seems to be fucking so awful aren't yeah it? but according to a study of bavaria mm-hmm. only one in ten clinics offer abortions which frankly is like a southern a u.s state level kind of approach and it's like hidden in plain sight. Like federal states are legally mandated to provide what they describe as sufficient availability for abortions. And what they mean legally sufficiency in this context is within 100 kilometers. Mm. Okay. The only state that doesn't adhere to this actual fucking law is Bavaria. Mm. And it just doesn't comply with it at all. The situations where people have to drive 200 kilometers to Munich or they have to like go to a different state. And it's like, where mm. the fuck are we? Like, are we in fucking florida or are we in like modern day eu like 
Is this the situation we kind of find ourselves in? I don't know whether this is the moment where I should say that I've kind of started watching The Handmaid's Tale. I think it is. I think it really is that moment. Oh, it's so, it's scary how it's so relatable and you hear the same lines. I kind of had to stop somewhere because it's it's too much. It's that horrible cocktail of naked grabs for power, mm. religious kind of uh, opportunism. And women's bodies. And weak-willed, political, mealy-mouthed kind of rhetoric. And it's like, who can be thrown under the bus to get votes? And that's yeah. what it feels like in Bavaria. There's people who are actively preventing it. People protesting or people making it difficult for these places to exist. And insurance. And insurance. Oh, God, yeah. There's the insurance fact. This was a statistic. Yeah. We discussed this last week. And yeah. we spent a long time trying to translate it because we actually couldn't believe this was a real yeah, statistic. This was true. I thought there was a typo or I couldn't read German. Exactly. We found it shocking that in 2022, 96% of uh, 104,000 abortions were not paid for by insurance. This means that they had to be paid for privately. That must be a huge burden on a budget. Well, it's just not, it's just fucking inhuman, man. Jesus, like what the fuck yeah. is going on where you have where you have, like your people pay insurance for when yeah. they need it. Like I know people on private insurance who every year get a letter that basically says, here's a load of things that we no longer offer on insurance. And it gets more and more. And it feels like, well, what the fuck is the point of paying insurance if every time I bloody need it, I have to navigate Ooh. some ridiculous paperwork in order to use it. And this is the instance, right? This is the mm. thing. Someone who's going through something traumatic, right? And it means they have to get an abortion. There's a lot of reasons why people get abortions, right? They have to go through a traumatic situation. And then they have to go through fucking reams of arguments with bloody insurance people on fucking phone calls that, like, are never-ending. Just mm -hmm. to, just so, like, I just don't understand it. I just find it unfathomable. Yeah. That brings us to the end of the show. We are going to track down some allspice to compliment Nick's supposed excellent baking. What do you mean supposed? I am an excellent... Enough of this. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash DecadesFromHome and contributing to help keep this boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algerman. You can tweet me on uh, at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. We'd hear articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Tschüss!